Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, you're obviously not in the recording studio as we're speaking right now, so where are you? Well, Scott, I'm in South Carolina, but I'm headed to Augusta, Georgia, where I'll be speaking at the Martinez Bible Chapel. And we're recording this program during what's called Passion Week, so I'm guessing you'll be preaching there on Easter Sunday? That's right, Scott. So any listeners in the Augusta area who don't already have plans for attending services on Easter, let me personally invite you to the services at 1010 and 1115 at Martinez Bible Chapel on Columbia Road in Martinez, Georgia. Now, since it's Easter Sunday, I'm guessing you'll have a resurrection theme for your sermon? (laughs) That's right, Scott. And for the program today, I also want to consider the resurrection and its connection to creation. All right, that sounds interesting. Are we going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.17? Why would we look at that verse, Scott? Well, it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Isn't that about the resurrection? Hmm, well, in a sense, since anyone who is in Christ will in fact experience the resurrection of the body at Christ's return, but I think that verse applies more directly to the new person, someone who is in Christ becomes upon their spiritual new birth. When a person trusts Jesus as their Savior, they are born again, that is, they become that new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is describing. And that happens before the resurrection. What I want to specifically address is the connection we find in the Bible between creation and the bodily resurrection of the believer. And to do that, let's first go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Ah, the resurrection chapter. Very good. 1 Corinthians is surely the resurrection chapter. At least it can be described as the doctrine of the resurrection chapter. In it, Paul addresses several issues regarding the resurrection. But I just want to focus on one of them. It's what he talks about in verses 35 through 52. So Scott, read 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So here we see Paul addressing several questions people may have about the reality and nature of the resurrection in this chapter. And here, starting at verse 35, he answers the skeptic who thinks that a resurrection of the human body couldn't happen. Apparently, such a person thinks that it would be physically impossible and can't imagine what a resurrected body would be like. But to that objection, Paul responds quite harshly by today's standard of political correctness and extreme sensitivity to other people's feelings. (laughs) Scott, how does Paul respond to those questions in the next verse? He says, you fool. (laughs) Yes, you fool. Now, I suppose I shouldn't laugh, but especially in today's environment, of having to be so careful not to offend anyone in any way, Paul's reaction is rather surprising. But even though he criticizes the questioner so sternly, he still answers their objections. The first thing he points out is, we observe death producing new life all the time. And he uses the example of the process of seeds dying and becoming new plants. 
And then Paul reminds the doubter that God created everything, and each creation has its own different properties. So why wouldn't we expect God to be able to create human bodies with different properties, one earthly and one heavenly? So let's go on and read verses 36 to 39. Verse 36, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. Okay, so when Paul said, quote, God gives it a body just as he wished, unquote, what's he referring to? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He's talking about when God created all living things. Exactly. And to reinforce that idea, in verse 45, Paul quotes directly from Genesis 2-7, quote, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, unquote, which describes the Lord creating man out of dirt. So the idea is, if God created everything just the way he wanted them, by what rationale could someone then come up with the idea that God couldn't create a new, different resurrection body for a person? It really is pretty foolish to think that God can do one thing, but not the other. Now, that does not mean there still isn't some mystery as to what exactly the resurrection body will be like, but it will indeed be a body, and it will be as much better than our first body as our dwelling in heaven will be better than our dwelling on earth. Let's move forward and now read verses 49 to 52. Go ahead, Scott. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Man, I don't know how any born-again child of God can't get excited when they read that. We are destined for immortality, clothed with an imperishable, glorious body. Hallelujah! And the confidence we can have in that revealed biblical truth is reinforced by our understanding that God created us in the first place. Don't you see, then, why Satan has devised the theory of evolution as a means to undermine the biblical revelation of special creation. If the enemy can somehow convince a person that somehow all that exists in the physical realm just came into existence on its own, by chance, and all the fantastic complexity and diversity of life is the result of random, purely undirected events, no designer, no creator, just blind luck then indeed the idea of a resurrection is silly. And Satan knows if a person is not convinced nor by faith understands that they will be resurrected, then there is no hope of eternal life and our faith, our very existence, is pointless. Dr. Scripture, earlier in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, Paul puts it this way. 
if we have only hoped in Christ in this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. What a sobering thought. To go from the ecstatic thought of immortality to the devastating thought of hopelessness and eternal death. But that is what our enemy wants to engender in the minds of human beings. Doubt, followed by hopelessness, and finally, despair is all there is for us. As Paul put it in verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But God's Word makes it abundantly clear that there is a resurrection. In fact, there is a resurrection of the living and the dead. In other words, those who are born again, the living, and those who were not born again during their lives on earth, the dead. Imagine receiving a resurrection body only to be cast from the presence of the Lord and Creator. And these are Jesus' words, not mine, in Matthew 13, 42, quote, and cast into the furnace of fire. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, unquote. Friend, if you're not born again through faith in Jesus and his death for your sins and his resurrection to prove that he satisfied God's demands for a sacrifice for sin, why not trust him right now? Has Satan blinded you into thinking that all you see around you is the product of blind chance? So there is no creator, there is no God. In your heart of hearts, you know that's unreasonable. Indeed, it is ridiculous. Listen to the spirit within you. Acknowledge your need of forgiveness from the sins that separate you right now from God, your maker. And believe what the Bible reveals about how to be saved. That is, be born again. Here is the good news in a nutshell. It's the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we've been discussing. In verses 1 through 8, Paul gives his testimony. Quote, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So the gospel, the good news of salvation, is so simple. Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. So notice, essentially half the gospel message is about the resurrection. So if Satan can get a person to deny the resurrection, there is no gospel. And if there is no resurrection, what's the point of being saved? It all amounts to nothing but <laughs> annihilation after death, so nothing in this life ultimately matters. Yeah, that's right, Scott. Annihilation is the only possible consequence of the materialistic evolutionary worldview. Now, to be sure, the New Testament is the source of most of the information about the resurrection. But to conclude our discussion about the connection between creation and the resurrection of the body, I want to point out that without the added revelation about the resurrection in the New Testament, even the Old Testament saints understood. Somehow there would be a bodily resurrection. And I think Job is one of the best examples. Job was in agony from the persecutions of Satan. 
but he also recognized that ultimately the Lord allowed the things that happened to him, and therefore the Lord was responsible. In Job 19, he is pleading with his supposed friends to stop harassing him. Job 19.21 says, Pity me, pity me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Picking it up at verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. What faith! And in the midst of such suffering, how could Job have such confidence? I think it's because the identity of the Lord as Creator is highlighted in the book of Job. So I submit one of the reasons Job had such confidence in the resurrection was because he was thoroughly convinced that El Shaddai, God Almighty, was his Creator and absolutely capable of resurrecting him. How confident? Listen to Job thirteen fifteen. Job said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says. 